Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Disney vs. Disney Debates, the podcast where we're trying to figure out exactly what is the best Disney film ever made. I am your host and Grandmaster Zane C. Weber here with two trusty debaters to tell me which is the better film between Atlantis, The Lost Empire, yeah, yeah. and Mulan. Woo! And fact-checking us today is none other than Carly Skelton. Hello, Zane C. Webber. Thanks for having me. How are you going, Carly? Good. Very good. I'm interested to see what happens. Oh, uh, do you have any biases to declare in this um, debate? Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Care to declare them? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Eddie Murphy voicing a small dragon mm, that's mm-hmm. got sass. Mm. You, you can't win. So you had a bias against me the last one. I did. So. I did indeed. Uh, Carly Skelton is going for Mulan. Okay. Well, defending Mulan, <laughs> we have our trusty static <laughs> debater. We're just gonna, you just stay in the same place stay, and everyone. Yeah. I just live here now. This is this is my home. It's a nice. This home. is Stacy Hobbs <laughs> is uh, arguing on behalf of Mulan today, and once again arguing for Atlantis. We have. Veteran old Maddie, that's right. <laughs> Veteran old Maddie, that's right, is what he's calling this himself. title is getting more and more extensive each time. Uh, I feel like by the end of the final round, it's going to be like, oh, Maddie, oh, boy, oh, oh Maddie. Oh. <laughs> You'll have to take a breath. The plan is that my business card will be like a rolling red carpet that unfurls <laughs> before me as I enter rooms. Yes. <laughs> Just wear a URL on a T-shirt. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so we are once again in our second, our second, uh, I guess, round of debates, which means that we have a six-minute opening uh, for the pros of your film and the cons of your opponents. At five minutes, you'll get a warning that sounds like this. And at six, you'll be rudely cut off by Darkwing Duck saying... The jig is up, you jaded, jug-headed jack-in-the-box! He is pompous. He is. Why are you doing this, Darkwing? We're on the same side. (laughs) But he gets the message across, guys. He, he very much does. So we have rolled the dice and determined that old Maddie will be going first. Uh, So, with no further ado, you have six minutes and your time starts when you start talking. De Gim! That's greetings in Atlantean. That's right, my friends. Atlantis The Lost Empire is not only the greatest Disney film ever made, but I think it should really sink in that Dr. Mark Orkren made its own damn language, complete with a unique alphabet, particular phonetics, and a dictionary. It's a language that's possible to learn fluently. There's a whole Wikipedia page dedicated to its depth and a video of the good doctor showing off some, phrase, showing off some phrases. And that's not even mentioning the unique architecture and full mythos that was developed for the world of Atlantis. This depth and dedication to detail reflects the 
the same depth and detail that pervades through this entire treasure of a movie. It's a movie filled be it's a movie filled beyond the brim with non-stop gusto, leading to a goosebump bonanza of a climax. A daring artistic experiment for Disney filmmaking, showing the best of their animation department's versatility. Atlantis dares to move on from the formulaic nature of Disney's song and dance and cutesy sidekicks to push the boundaries of animated visual sto storytelling, all while bursting with that beloved Disney magic of making classic tales like Jules Verne's Journey to the Center of the Earth and 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea and making them fresh and relevant once more. Directed by Beauty and the Beast legends Gary Trussdale and Kirk Wise, this is no fairy tale bound forever to the past of our culture, but a story we can carry with us every day, along with its characters. Atlantis has such a wide array of interesting and charismatic characters, all of which actively help propel the plot forward with such natural humanity that I can confidently say no other Disney film had such a fun supporting cast, all of which were impeccably casted to suit that they ground the high fantasy into not only history, but into our world. They're not cute, they're not simple, they're people with hopes, dreams, regrets, and compromises they, they never knew they made until it's time for them to each ask what they value and who they are. And when we see them all answer this question, and un we understand why. It's remarkable, not least with the knowledge that actors like Don Novello were given the artistic liberty, as the whole film was blessed with, to improvise and break the mold and the mold of Disney films. The antagonist Lyle Tiberius, played hand in glove by likable maverick James Garner, proved to be a villain who you can't ultimately agree with, but you can't hate, until you see him as the spirit of capitalism. Oh, the scope of this movie thematically, musically, emotionally, technically, and visually, you gads! But Mulan... Unlike the best Disney films like Atlantis, Pinocchio, Aladdin, and The Lion King, where decisions are made more often for the sake of art than com commerce, the balance is out of favor in Mulan, whose only goal was to emulate its great predecessors rather than make the bold, self-assured strides that made them great in the first place. For the role of Mushu, Disney was aiming for top Hollywood talents in the vein of Robin Williams' performance as the genie in Aladdin, and approached Eddie Murphy, who at first balked when asked to record at the Disney Studios. He then asked to record his voice in, the ba in his basement at his Bubble Hill mansion in Englewood, New Jersey. The, the most vivacious personality in the movie kept the project at arm's length, literally, metaphorically having his paycheck shamefully slipped under the door. While Bancroft, so the, one of the, the co-directors, Bancroft, suppressed the spirit of Mulan's Buddhist kind of cultural origin being a Christian. He Though the production team traveled to China to draw inspiration from landmarks and so-called culture, the co-director declining to explore Buddhism on the basis of his own Western-centric faith immediately betrays that this story is not set in China due to a desire to bring new depth and representation in Disney films, but as a gimmick aimed at aesthetic appeal and cheap publicity points. Chinese culture with his, West, with it, with his Western Christian faith, his co-conspirator, co sorry, production designer, Hans Bakker suppressed the culture in the visual department. Though he, the art directors and their team did a wonderful job of drawing inspiration from Ming and Qing, Qing dynasties for, pro for proper historical prod design, as well as turning the art style gorgeously toward Chinese paintings with watercolor and simpler, simpler broader strokes, it's absolutely, and I can't, it's, it's absolutely gorgeous, and I can't take away from that. But Bakker himself can, can by, cur by curbing the artistic daring with a capitalist polish of Western sensibility, drawing his inspiration from com for composition, lighting, and staging, to establish settings to enhance the characters from the silent era German expressionism, British and American epics of the 1950s and 60s, and the spaghetti westerns, anything but Chinese filmmaking. Indeed, taking inspiration from spaghetti weapons to enhance Chinese characters with, might I add, Western technique, before taking from even Japanese filmmaker Akira Kurosawa is extremely telling, as Kurosawa himself inspired the spaghetti Western. 
The music is a great score and a great medley of Disney bangers, but even my favourite element of this film is marred by the blood sprayed by corporate cutthroats. The original desired composer, Stephen Schwartz, when he also accepted an offer to work on DreamWorks' Prince of Egypt, was threatened by the president of Disney Animation that his name would be stripped from Pocahontas and Hunchback of Notre Dame if he took the offer. Schwartz walked, and the company merrily found composers who would bow to their will. Mulan, Mulan from start to finish, is a stark, dark reminder of the business power of the golden age of, of Hollywood, a rotten apple of the Hesperides, a power that Disney still possesses, happy to exploit other cultures for a bankable story without committing to properly telling that story with cultural sensitivity, artistic integrity, and courage, like when a French actor played the wife of freaking Genghis Khan in 1965. Chinese people complained about Mulan's depiction as too foreign-looking, and the story is too different from the myths. It would be unfair to say that Mulan is a piece of art that doesn't know how to balance its elements or knows what it wants to be. It knows exactly what it is. It is a product. The only relevance and value that Mulan has in modern society as a film, not even mentioning the prospect of it being the best Disney film, is that it brought Szechuan sauce for chicken nuggies twice over, thanks to Rick and Morty. And boy, even that caused riots. <laughs> oh my. Yeah. Is that it? I could go on, but I'll save it for later. <laughs> okay. Crap. I am so glad you brought up Rick and Morty. Oh, my life is complete. Just, okay. just in that moment. That's great. That was thick and fast. I'm still fact-checking. Yeah, sorry. That was a lot of information very quickly. Um, uh, is there any facts that you have checked that you would like to clear up now or would you like to like us to throw to Stacey and then fact-check in the break? The whole Eddie Murphy um, keeping Mulan at arm's length is, as far as I can see, correct, mm -hmm. um, simply because that he, was, he wanted a bit of privacy at that time. Mm. Not that he didn't like the project, just to clarify that situation. Mm. Um, and um, oh. oh no, here we are. Uh, yep, spaghetti western. That was all correct as well. Cool. All right, no problem. We will pass Ooh. over to Stacy with six minutes, with a warning at five, to tell me why Mulan is the best Disney film ever made, and why Atlantis: The Lost Empire is not. Let's get down to business. Mulan is one of the key jewels in Disney's crown and deserves its place at the forefront of Disney, achieve Disney achievements. And if you disagree, then dishonour on your cow. Where Mulan differs from other Disney films at the time is the motivations of the protagonist. We are introduced to a character who is not motivated by a love interest, but in protecting her family. Her family consisting of both a father and a mother, another anomaly for Disney, are loving, but don't understand Mulan's true destiny. They support her when her matchmaking does not go to plan, despite how important that is for her culture and the family standing in the community. They protect her when she breaks Chinese law and celebrate her return with unconditional love. The movie is solidly placed within a culture, fe featuring characters who are from that culture, who understand understand the history and legacy of what came before who aren't coming from an outside understanding and forcing competing ideals onto a foreign culture. Where Atlantis uses the Atlanteans, implied to be people of colour from their design and Keita's voice actor, as a background to the action, sidekicks and plot derivatives to the bright white protagonists, um, Mulan provides a story that, while centred around a historical legend and set in a specific culture, does not make the culture a joke or a plot device. The story of Mulan does not occur about the culture, but within it, using the heritage and existing traditions to highlight the challenges faced by a character who belongs to that established world. 
Chinese culture is incorporated throughout Milan in its music, animation and themes. The animators wanted to incorporate Chinese art, architecture and landscapes realistically in the film. In 1994, the production team sent a select group of artistic supervisors to China for three weeks to take photographs and drawings of local landmarks for inspiration and to soak up local culture. The Chinese-inspired aesthetics for the movie um, provides a serene backdrop to a movie that centres around war. With the use of soft watercolour-like effects, Chinese swirls and dust, clouds and fireworks and gorgeous calligraphy in the opening and closing scenes, as well as other scenes featuring text in the film. The movie also features a multicultural voice cast, including the talents of Ming-Na Wang, uh, Leah Seong Longa, Betty Murphy, B.D. Wong and George Takei. The movie is a great introduction to Chinese culture and I have literally used the movie this week to educate students about ancient China. While Disney did face some criticism, as um, Maddie said, from the Chinese people for westernising the legend, the movie did more than what Hercules and Aladdin did. It tried to represent the culture sensitively, um, reimagined a Chinese legend, which in its own country has various versions, and introduced the West to a culture outside its own. And it wasn't completely lost on the Chinese audience. Ten-year-old Tang from China learned to be fearless and just go ahead. He liked Mulan, even though she was a woman. Mulan is an incredible character and it's even better that she is an incredible woman as well. Through um, Mulan, we see a young woman find herself. Due to her own determination and persistence, we see her confidence and agency increase. Interestingly, in a single throwaway moment, we see Mulan's motivations change and grow as she discovers her own power. While her initial intentions to join the army were to protect her father, we see these take on a new life. Mulan is offered the chance to return to her home and, and safety without being discovered as a woman. After struggling with the training during I'll Make a Man Out of You, a banger, we see Shang sending Mulan home. It is at this point that her duty would be resolved. However, she chooses not to do so. She chooses to stay, persists in her training and excels. We see her outrunning her male counterparts. We see her strength, agility and prowess in battle, equal to or surpassing her fellow soldiers. We witness her brilliance in strategy, her ability to make quick decisions and stand by her convictions and integrity. But what strikes me is in all of this, she her gains do not erase her strength and her emotional intelligence. Her empathy, compassion and respect does not waver. She celebrates these female feminine traits and they um, were not demonstrated as being in conflict with her strength, intelligence or agility. Mulan even took this further in demonstrating the limits of the society views of others. She's not listened to when she is female, despite having the same intelligence and skills. As Mulan says, why is Mulan any different to Ping? While the goal of the movie is not to directly confront the, confront the sexist view some peoples and cultures have or have had of women, it is a present tension in Mulan and is dealt with well while respecting the culture. Contrast Mulan with a female protagonist in Atlantis, Kida. She's supposed to be brilliant, intelligent, brave and daring. However, when she reaches her peak power, she does nothing more than simply walking into capture, dooming Atlantis to ruin. Despite the 8,000 years she and her people have had to redecipher their own language, Milo does so in no more than 10 years in a foreign country with no knowledge of the spoken language or cultural historical events that contextualise the text. Furthermore, the story centres around a straight, white, male stranger coming in to rescue what is supposedly a far more advanced civilization, which makes for some very unwoke undertones. While both Atlantis and Mulan have scenes where hundreds of people die in a few seconds, the way that the movies use these scenes to further the plot and the aftermath of these scenes are treated very differently. When Atlantis kills off hundreds of innocent crew, it seemed to simply lessen um, 
the work of the animators to tell a story. It's cheap storytelling um, tactic in order to move the centre around a smaller crew. The crew immediately forget these deaths and act like they never happened incredibly quickly. In Mulan, most mass deaths are used to contextualise the war. The first is the slaughter of, the, um, of part of their army, including Shang's father, and the second being Mulan's defeat of the Han army. In the first scene, characters are portrayed as mourning. Mulan shows compassion for an unknown child, for Shang. Um, it sobers the entire battalion and puts meaningful stakes to the premise of the movie. War is serious and has consequences for the entire country. The avalanche scene again raises the stakes to the Chinese people who are defending the country. They are outnumbered by an incredible force of ruthless warriors who would surely spread their devastating destruction over all of China. Mulan defeats this army with minimal bloodshed, sparing the pain and suffering of many. I would be remiss if I didn't mention the music again. The music is incredible and is a simple um, effect of bleeding the comic moments with the harsh realities of conflict. Milan holds its own and deserves its place in the Disney renaissance among the best of what Disney has to offer. The movie's vibrant animation, rousing and catching songs, characters and message are empowering not only to girls and women to boy, but to boys and men. The movie provides Western audiences with a perspective that bravery, intelligence, quick wig and gumption are not characters unique to the Western population, that other cultures are worthy of respect and their stories are worthy of being honoured. The jig is oh, up, you well jaded jughead jack of the box. Time to the wire. <laughs> All right, <laughs> before we take a break... Uh, are there any facts that need to be checked there, fact checker? Everything was really clear. Good job. Well done. Yeah. Hooray. Hey, well, we'll take a quick break and we'll come back with a question and answer segment. Okay. Question time. <laughs> Delivered with such <laughs> delight. Stacy. Yes. Um, you you accuse Atlantis of using character death and mass character death mm. as a way a way of simply just reducing the cast size and and focusing on a group of people. Yes. Doesn't Milan do the exact same thing with the Huns? Yes, but better. Why? Why is that better? <clears throat> so, part of look, Milan is a children's movie that's dealing with war. That's icky to begin with, um, and you've got to kind of deal with that. Um, the the way that death is – and there are those two pivotal scenes that I um, brought up before. The the first one being um, sobering in it, that's the effect of, of war. And, look, we don't actually see um, – I mean, we, in the training scenes we see, like, all the other soldiers, but we only really see the core group, which is, which yeah, is normal yeah. and typical. Um um, but we see that death, it's a sobering death and it, and it shows the reality of what this could be, that if these these Hans invade China, they don't care. They're just going to slaughter everyone, kids, women. They, they do not discriminate. They will decimate. Um, oh, that's a really cool little like... <laughs> Put it on a T-shirt. <laughs> like, um, but they... It gives a reality where they've just been singing a song about, yeah, I want a girl, and then all of a sudden they're looking at this reality. The The second death scene, um, yes, you could say that it's to minimise the Hans so that in that final battle scene we're not, again, having a whole army. We can just focus mm-hmm. on these key interesting characters. In fact, that's the um, point that Which I'm is the point you're making. Yeah. But um, but I think the, the other side to that is that the way that Mulan gets rid of that army is the least human impact possible. So she fires one rocket and decimates the whole army in one go. 
which minimizes the damage to the Chinese. Because you've got to remember, Chinese are defending themselves. They're not the – they're defending. It uh, minimizes their death. My point is not towards the motives yes. and and whether or not we deal with it. Although yes. I will say that the, the mass murder that Milan commits in service mm-hmm. of her empire yes. isn't really dealt with in any it's emotional not. way. It's not. Um, um, but because my, there's my, more my point matters. is, why is that narrative yeah. device – different to what is in Atlantis. Okay, all right. So... That Can is... the fact checker please <laughs> calm down? <laughs> I just knocked over um, my water bottle. Sorry, guys. You're Continue, fun. please. I, I think it's the, Im- the impact, and that, that's where I was trying to ramble to, mm-hmm. is that the decimation of the Hans um, saved China, saved them from this impact of the attack. Mm-hmm. In Atlantis... That deaths, they were worthless, but didn't really have a point. They didn't save anything. They didn't make any. Um, they didn't. Those deaths weren't to save other deaths. Those people, like they weren't going into it, like, um, like all old mate, enemy dude. What's his name? Help me. Lyle Tiberius. Yeah. All he wanted was the power. He wasn't there to like kill them all. He's happy to just take it and leave. So it's not like okay. there was an army invading. It's not like killing all those crews saved any Atlanteans. It was just, oh, cool, they're okay, dead so now. Okay, so character motivations are what you're saying it justifies the narrative device. Yes. Okay. Beca- and, and the whole point of it was it's in a war, people are going to die. Mm-hmm. Atlantis, they were like, it's a historical expedition. And yes, we find out later it's not just for the history's sake and whatever. Mm-hmm. But for their plot device, for what they wanted to achieve, those deaths were unnecessary. And um, so, like, why have that amount of crew so in the first place? So, war is necessary. But why have that amount of crew <laughs> in the first place? Why not just go I'm gonna, I'm with a minimal crew? In the story of Milan, war is necessary. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, Matthew. Milo? Yes. White saviour? Question mark? Question mark. Um, I mean, yes, he's a white. He's the Western kind of avatar for the audience mm-hmm. who goes into the story mm-hmm. to explore a new culture. It's mm-hmm. not a new device for treasure hunt, treasure hunting movies. Treasure hunting stories, for better or for better or worse, usually worse. Like tr- time travel movies, they're inherently white centric. Like a white time traveller can go to pretty much any period of it, history and, and speak c- English and speak English, assimilate. <laughs> And same for treasure hunters. Treasure for for us to make treasure hunting movies, Westerners like other cultures, you know, would love making treasure hunting movies, and I'm sure they do. We we want to, you know, kind of be the eyes of the audience because it's made from a Western perspective. So we take Western perspectives, Western adventurers to explore it. Um, in terms of you know how he figures out technology that they haven't figured out for thousands of years, even though they're immortal. Um, I mean, it's that age-old problem when you're looking at something for too long and you need a fresh pair of eyes. And in terms of the whole crew being white, they're not, you know, it's a very diverse crew. There are Italians, there's there's Cubans, there's French, there's um, Swedes, who's African-American. It's a diverse crew. I mean, Helga's German. It's it's not just about, you know, Americans saving the day because, as you say, they're not there to save the day. They're conducting a private war on Atlantis for power, just like uh, Sher... Is it Sher Khan or in Mulan? Shan Yu. Shan Yu. Oh, uh, yes, yeah. Shan Yu. And just like Shan Yu is conducting a war for political power to take China, Lyle Tiberius is conducting his own war to, to take, you know, power for himself. And he's a mercenary. 
and those deaths in Atlantis to justify them. It's about every treasure hunt, you know, it starts off as a rollicking scientific jaunt, but then it has to have a sobering point of mass death for a point of no return. Like, these are the stakes when you seek this kind of power, for better or worse. Okay. Um, did that answer your question? It did. So I have one final question, which is to both of you. Now, Matthew, you'll get to answer first because you're going first. Now, it has been stated by both of you to varying degrees um, that Mulan is a product of the Disney recipe and that Atlantis is an experiment breaking out of said recipe. Tell me why your movie uses this better than your opponent's. Very well. I've written this one down. Well, please, at any point, an answer would be nice. (laughs) (laughs) I see. Do I get an extra point for answering immediately? Are you (laughs) going to answer right now? Sorry, this movie... You go, do you take it away? Yes, Atlantis was a new direction for Disney, and it's an anomaly. Like, it was a style that did not catch on. Why? Because it's too daring. It's too risky. Like the best pieces of art, it can't be replicated when the synergy of animated musical um, comedies is too attractive, not only for entertainment value, but also for the way they spin off hit songs and stage shows and albums. This being unique adds so much more to its value because it's the pinnacle of what Disney can do with a classic story and an original concept, making a classic story new while bringing modern sensibilities to it that really are counterproductive for Disney. And I think that's what makes it so special, that this is the pinnacle of artistic kind of kind of thematic daring on Disney's part because they made an anti-capitalist story when Disney as, is like a capitalist conglomerate. And it always was. Like, that's not just even talking about like the, the modern empire that we have now. But even back then, they were constantly acquiring things like Pixar being, having Steve Jobs and being a part of Apple and always growing. Okay, if I accept that at face value, mm-hmm. which for the sake of argument I will, because I'm sure that Stacey has things to say, what do you think that they could have learned from the production of Atlantis that they didn't moving forward? Because like you said, it hasn't been replicated. It hasn't been... They haven't really tried to do anything in this style again. Mm. Can you tell me what worked in Atlantis that Disney has, hasn't or neglected to put into their following films? I would say what it did in Atlantis that they didn't replicate later on was liberty in terms of giving the actors so much room to play and improvise lines, giving artists the, op- the technology they needed to combine, like, you know, CGI for, like, the Leviathans with the comic book style of... Uh, I can't remember his name, but the guy who did the Hellboy comics. Mm -hmm. That kind of freedom to just play with different mechanics and different lines in terms of improvisations, as well as just going full throttle into a pulp story that everyone's just passionate about, you know, less songs, more explosions. That kind of passion for a project without so much interference from formula and what works commercially for big albums was, you know... What makes it special? Okay. So throwing it over to Stacey. uh, So Milan, very much part of the Disney Renaissance model Mm -hmm. uh, with with a nominal princess, if not a literal princess. Um, Can you tell me why this is a good thing and not something that is just a cookie cutter product? 
I think what Mulan look yes Mulan is uh again yeah in the princess canon she's not technically a princess she's been adopted um but I think what she did was she she took what had come before and had made it better so where so I mean before this we had Ariel and Belle so they're going to be who she's going to be compared to both based on fairy tales uh, Milan is based on a Chinese legend and legends have big aspects of truth, big aspects of real people doing real things and I think that was a departure from the fairy tales and that this um, there was a legend and though there's many different versions of it and they and um, of course like many many stories that have come before Milan it has been disnified um, it is based on uh, yeah rather than a fairy tale a real like possibly could have happened story which I think is really interesting it gives it a new um tension because this is this is a could have been real life events could have really happened in a way or, or a way like this where um Ariel and Bella are very much in a a magical fantasy realm I think the other thing that they built on is Mulan as a as a character so um I mean we discussed in the last debate Ariel's character very um very different to Mulan um very different motivations very different um uh realize realizations of those of those motivations um Belle they 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 try to give her more spunk give her more interest but really didn't achieve much where Mulan she she was motivated by family and duty and, and protecting her family and then she had a choice and I discussed it early in the debate where mm-hmm. she had a choice where she could have done that saved dad and then be sent home and gone back to the life shit she always had. And she had that out. Um, and she chose not to take that out. She chose to better herself. And she chose to become this really kick-ass person um, and really reach her full potential um, and keep growing and developing while not compromising all of the things that made her who she was. Okay. Um, so I think they used the model – Sure, um, they've stretched out by using a real legend, which could places it in, in the real world context, but also built on that character to make her her own and her yeah. gumption and and very much more of a self actualization than previous princesses before. All right, so thank you for your answer. We'll take a quick break now. We'll come back with closing arguments. All right, time for closing arguments. You will each have three minutes to tell me why your film is the best, why your opponent's film is not the best, and do it eloquently. Matthew, we'll be starting with you, and you will have no warning. You'll just be cut off at three minutes by Darkwing Duck, and your time starts when you start talking. Very well. The climax of Atlantis is, is, dare I say, the greatest spectacle of animation, liberating the action from gravity and the usual rules of animation, letting it careen thrillingly through the the air with the full explosive energy once imprisoned in the written kabooms of comic books. The story of Atlantis is rousing an old pulp science fiction classic as uh, as an old pulp science fiction classic from the outset, but the climactic scene lets it undoubtedly transcend the rest of Disney's classics. Will the movie signal a new direction for Disney animation? No, as I said. But Atlantis is unique. It's 20,000 leagues under the sea, set free by animation to, to look the way it always dreamed of looking. And I can think of no higher praise. Bargeshenin. That's thank you. In rebut to some of my re- learned friends' points, 
Uh, Kida is a very strong role model for as a feminist kind of symbol. She fights like Mulan, it, and she constantly advocates for reform. She doesn't yet. Yeah, she's it's prophecy that she gets turned into a diamond towards the end. That's not you know a comment on her femininity. Whereas Mulan, her value constantly comes from hiding her femininity. Indeed, even when she's revealed to be a man, um, to be a woman, she redeems herself to her fellow soldiers by doing the masculine kind of combat kind of things that she learnt to assimilate with them in the first place. She never at, one, at any time celebrates her femininity. It's always despite of her femininity that they like her in the end. Um, speaking of the brutality of war that in Mulan, they never mourn. No matter the soul, like there's never really any big scenes where they mourn all of the soldiers they've lost. And Mushu, who in, selfishly puts Mulan in harm's way solely so he can become um, a guardian again, like... He's out to get his own. He also has a cricket that propels no plot forward. The art designer himself hated the cricket, and they quote it. <laughs> but uh, moving on, it's a brutal movie. Yeesh. It is a war movie, yes, but I detest the idea that the best Disney movie of all time, the movie that represents the best of what Disney can be, is such a ruthless, amoral bloodbath. Unlike the charmingly mercenary cowboy Tiberius, um, Cowboy Tiberius, who has clear and terrifying real monetary motivation, Shan Yu's motivation is no more complex than a monster devouring the countryside, even jokingly implying the murder of a child when he says the little girl will be missing her doll. We should return it to her. What a voice. Oh, and he, he followed through, the doll being found amongst the field of corpses in the burned village. But the Huns are villains. Perhaps, in truth, they didn't literally shoot messengers with quite as much witty rapport in history, but I understand stakes need to be raised and the threat needs to be feel real. But the brutality doesn't stop at the villains. Mulan is a mass killer, causing an avalanche that slew the majority of Shan Yu's army. Sure, she's a soldier, but that's different to dropping the equivalent of an organized bombing run without orders. Also, as Mushu is surfing down the avalanche, he pulls a Hun soldier out of the snow, then puts him back, leaving him to die, which he did. And you're thinking, oh, that's a, that's a Hun soldier. Who cares what happens to him? He also scares two Chinese innocents, and they dive to their death out of a building. Let's <laughs> jig us up, you jaded, jug-headed jack-in-the-box. <laughs> that's enough of that. Thank you very much. Um. Oh, I enjoy your rants, Maddie. <laughs> uh, Every you. time they bring me such joy. I'm glad. Okay, so we'll go straight over to Stacey, unless mm-hmm. there are any facts that need to be checked. Um, no. <laughs> Carly's checked out. She's just like, what? Um, I, did, I did look at the 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea and the comic book thing, and I couldn't really find anything, so I think it's more opinion-based and the, uh, well, um, alliteration the, rather the than The art designer facts. was... Uh yeah, I can get his name for you. Yeah, uh, in just, my research as well, the 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea was very... Um, yeah. uh, Mike McNola. It was mentioned a number of times about the inspiration, so yes. Yeah. I'll, I'll uh, allow it. Uh, oh, thank you, thank you. <laughs> All right, yeah, okay. Yeah, I just find it, my, Mike, yep, yeah, okay, we're good. <laughs> Let's pass straight over to Stacey. Three minutes, your time starts when you start talking as to why Milan is the best Disney film ever made and why Atlantis The Lost Empire is not the best Disney film ever made. Atlantis is a very fun film. I will give you that. But who is it for? When I was watching it, I was very lost as to who that film was targeted towards. <laughs> Definitely targeted towards Maddie. But yeah. um, yes, it's got these wonderful sci-fi elements. It's got this kind of pulp fiction kind of like it's a brilliant. It's a great movie, but it's misdirected. It doesn't isn't clear about who its audience is for um and it's it feels far more like an adult directed movie than a kid's movie um and i think that's part of the reason why that 
wasn't adopted in the greater Disney canon because it didn't um, fit with the ethos of Disney. Um, as much as I love an adult uh, film, as much as I love those films, I think Disney does better at that uh, balance of adult and children and I really don't think Atlanta's hit the mark for kids at all in this movie, which which made it confused. It was a confused tone. It was a confused direction, um, which I think led to its ultimate failure. Um, and it is not as iconic. When you, when you think of Disney films, it's really not um, as iconic in the canon. And I, and I think that's another reason why for that. Look, Mulan is a brilliant movie. Uh, it fits into that peak Disney renaissance. It's one of those first movies you see. It is beautiful. The music is so catchy. You know you're going to be singing those songs when this debate is over. Uh, definitely nothing from Atlantis. Uh, and it also has these amazing, fun, supporting cast. Maddie said there wasn't. Mate, there is. Both animal and human beings. We've got Mushu, who, look, is a problematic character, but that's part of his charm. Um We've got Khan the horse, which is hilarious and is right up there in the best Disney horses. And there are, that's a stiff competition um, to beat. Mm. And then we've got Cricky, who, yeah, he's just along for the ride. He's just chilling. He's just enjoying it, like all of the audience. We're just going along with him and just being caught up in this world. And we've also got these um, incredible soldiers. We've got Yao, we've got Ling, we've got Ching Po, who give this in, um, – who become Mulan's friends, who get to know her and who immediately, uh, when at the end they accept her and they there's a whole that whole scene about them dressing up as the um, concubines is hilarious and it's part of embracing that feminine, that those two roles can be yin and yang, that they can support each other um, and that they can complement each other and the fact that they, they listen to Mulan and she really does take the lead and all of that shows their um, embrace of her. Um, Mulan is an awesome female warrior. She's an awesome role model and this film and the fact that it introduces incredibly complex culture to a Western audience who may never have been exposed to that before, I think, is a really powerful thing for Disney to have done. Did they get it right 100% of the time? No, but they did a really, really good effort and I think it's right up there with films like Aladdin and Hercules, but better. The jig is up, you jaded jug-headed right, jack-in-the-box. Well done. Okay, I have a lot of squiggles on my sheet here. Um, so please take some time Talk about what you liked about each other's films Carly, feel free to chime in About your bias if you have one And I will figure out What I'm going to say can, can I just say though, Zane's marking sheet It looks like a map to the Mars Oh mate, <laughs> she's elaborate Furiously writing. There's arrows and circles And scribbles and. I have Ooh. a system There's a system <laughs> I don't know what it is here <laughs> I was really mad when I found out I had to come against Atlantis again because it's such a fun film. Yeah. It's such a fun film. I was terrified when we were slated <laughs> again because I, it's, it is a fun film, but you already had one run at it. It's like, what, what is left unsaid? What's she going to do next? Oh, <laughs> and I, it just, um, I really enjoyed Atlantis and I hadn't watched it for such a mm. long time and I, I only rewatched it um, for the um, Atlantis vs. Frozen debate. And I got to the end and I was like, dang it, it's so good. What am I going to say that's bad about this? I had such a great time. Like, And you're right, it's such a different, it was such a different Disney film um, it went a really interesting direction and it made me think and, and I know it's one of my criticisms about like who is this film mm. for but I think there is this 
and I think more so now, especially with Japanese anime, where they're really developing this medium for an adult audience. Um, and that's when I was watching it, I'm like, oh, this is just such an untapped medium for mm. for Disney and for these Western, you know, um, companies spitting them out. I mean, um, yeah, I just – I really enjoyed it. And I think if it wasn't, a, like, aimed for kids, I think it would have been really, really cool to see what they could have done with it without those limitations. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And Mulan is one of my favourite of the Disney renaissance. Oh. Like, um, I found it funny that they were talking about – like, so I got a quote that I never ended up using because I'm too nice, where, like, the <laughs> art director – they were talking about, like, because the executives wanted the cricket in it. And yeah, they're like, yeah. you fact-check that, please come. And, and they're like, <laughs> is, he is too Matthew nice? too nice? And then they're like – where is Cricky in the scene? And one of the art directors is like, who cares where the cricket is? <laughs> I care where the cricket is. They the fought cr- for that cricket. Yeah. Whoever decided was like, no, he must be in there. And just kept like putting him in scenes like until the, the director's like, all right, fine. Just jump in there. Like, like he plays, is it, I, if I'm remembering this right, he plays like a little sad violin at one stage. <laughs> yeah. It's so cute. And I they literally gave the sidekick a sidekick. In yeah. I know. Yeah. It's so yeah. funny. This, yeah, it's that little layers. But Mushu deserved. <laughs> he earned his sidekick. Oh. The oh. scene where Mushu breaks the great stone dragon and then <laughs> holds the head above. He's like, yeah, I'm going to go far more It's fine. I'm very fine. disrespectful to Chinese like, culture. Oh, my Lord in heaven. But, yeah, it's but funny. Very <laughs> funny. And it's like I know I like went at, went at him for this point, but I mean Atlantis is a testament. I love antiheroes, so so to mm. have to kind of have like the sidekick have his own kind of selfish motives. I mean they're never really quite reformed, but <laughs> to have him have have his own selfish motives, <laughs> it's kind of my jam because that's believable. Like, yeah. yeah, it feels like, very people real. People are flawed. People are flawed. People can I be also so wonder yeah. whether the Great Stone Dragon is actually canonically dead now yes. that the statue's broken. Like, yeah. You do think of that, you're like, but what What happens to the dragon? <laughs> dragon <laughs> One of my favourite, like, offhand gags is when they're talking about Mushu's previous, like, I guess, <laughs> clients, and he's like a uh. ghost with a beheaded head. <laughs> Just holding your it. Your misguided led him to do his destruction. He's like, your thanks for that. I do oh. like the reverence that they show ancestry and family mm. within regards to Chinese culture and I think mm. that that's really important as well yeah. and that's that's the thing that Disney doesn't do well sometimes yeah. and I think they did that like, well I think they really tried <laughs> they like really did try in Milan absolutely something okay here we go okay. they did try in Milan mm-hmm. and I think it's pretty it's I think it's pretty safe to say that overall Chinese people weren't particularly happy with the way that they were represented not at all but I did some fact checking. <laughs> <laughs> having said that, now these are very two different films. One mm. is pinnacle Disney product, the other is Disney experimenting and just throwing everything at the wall to get a fun adventure out there. And I think what we came down to is the difference in the audiences. So Milan is a, an adopted Disney princess and mm-hmm. made for little girls. Mm. It's made and for... boys. It is made for boys, of course. It's made for everyone. Like, I loved Mulan as much as anyone else. Yeah, I'm not yeah. saying that... Yeah, but, yeah, but but the same the same reason that they changed um, the, the movie Tangled's name from Rapunzel is so that they could approach a, a more gen, gender-neutral mm. audience. 
I th- I definitely think that Atlantis lent more into that little boy sense of adventure and excitement mm. and didn't pay much attention to the the Disney archetypes and tropes. Mm. So I think that that's the big difference in these two films. So when when it comes to like I agree that Milan has an entertaining side set of side characters. Mm. But they really don't compare to Atlantis's side mm, characters mm. when it comes to depth and and breadth, breadth. of character, yeah. mm. and also the arcs that they go through. Yes, you lose them, and you lose some of them very quickly. But the ones that stick around, they definitely have thoughts and opinions on what's going on, and yeah. they're not just there for a punchline. Which Cheng Do, like, is Cheng Po, sorry, yeah. is just a punchline yeah, in yeah. every scene. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. Um, so I think that's the character and the character writing's definitely on um, Atlantis's side here. Mm. Now, Atlantis is famous for... The, you've brought it up in, in both times that you've uh, defended it, less songs, more explosions. Yes. Unfortunately, with Mulan, found the same kind of explosions. <laughs> explosions yeah. but, but with also songs. music. Oh, um, <laughs> so I, I, I don't think that that really plays attention here. These are both adventure films. They both have very high action scenes. Yes, I, I think the scope of the animation is a, is, a, is a bit more adventurous and a bit more um, ambitious in Atlantis. So I think that's a, that's a small point there. But the the scope of Milan's action can't be denied. Um, mm. These are both brutal films that deal mm. with death in a very real way, um, but they deal with it in a way that doesn't isn't meant to like scare little kids. Mm. Yes. So I think I think we, I can't really give the 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 dealing with death card to either film here. Milan is iconic. It is iconic. Milani is a great role model. However, it has a huge point against it, which is the negative reception for the culture that it was meant to meant to be displaying and incorporating. Mm. And Atlantis got away with that because it was a fictional culture that they were. <laughs> Any Atlanteans out there offended? <laughs> yeah. So that is the big the big part that I have to hold against Mulan. And there's one point that hopefully people will justify it for, which is the music. The music is, I'll make a man out of you, reflection. It is a huge part of Disney and it's a huge part of Mulan. And I think that is the tipping point that makes Mulan the better Disney film today. Oh, well done. (laughs) Well, I love love Atlantis, um, but I think... Your first argument that Mulan was the product of the Disney Renaissance using all that formula like that and that is why it is what it is. It's iconic. It it mm. is it is kind of the epitome of what Disney was going to do. So congratulations, oh, Stacey. Thank you for, well for winning with Mulan. Thank you for fighting so valiantly for Atlantis. Thank you for having me. Um, I'm very interested to see the results in the Facebook poll on this one. 
Um, because Atlantis was the surprise winner of the poll last time mm. against Frozen. It was. Uh, and I was not anticipating that. Uh, but, yeah, let's see how it fares against Mulan. So if yeah. you want to find that, that'll be on our Facebook page. You can also find us on Instagram and on Twitter or at our home on the web, that's not canon.com. Thank you once again to Stacey for fact-checking us all the way. My name is Carly. <laughs> to Carly for fact-checking us all the way through to the end Thank and to Stacey me. for debating. <laughs> You're welcome. And to Matthew for losing bah, valiantly valiantly <laughs> valiantly very well fought we'll be back I next went time down like a flaming blimp <laughs> <laughs> with another Too debate soon. for you uh, keep watching disney everyone I'm Morgan Phillips and I'm a human. And I'm Isabella Vallette and I'm also a human. But I was raised by fairies. And now I'm taking my human friend Morgan in to meet all of the mythological creatures that I know. Every Sunday we meet a new mythological creature and interview them about their life in a modern day context. Such as... The Night King from Game of Thrones. Funicula, the friendly vampire brother of Dracula. We've met the Loch Ness Monster. Santa. The Volpertinger. The Devil. And a Mermaid. And many more. We release all our interviews as a podcast called Off with the Fairies, where we interview a new mythological creature every week living in a modern day world come join us that's not kind of productions podcast planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options buttery soft italian leather bags and so much more and it's all priced at 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands plus Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.